0: Alright, so it is not a secret that I, Pablo, hello, uh, have a complicated relationship, tortured even, uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers. I am the priest of the process, yes, this is true. I am also somebody, though, who has endless conversations and criticisms um, about the head coach of the team, Doc Rivers. But ahead of their game against the Wizards tonight, after their big game on Christmas, I wanted to bring you what is categorically the best conversation I have ever personally had with Doc. And we aired this back in April for reasons you're about to understand very soon. Uh, and it's about something that, yeah, I'd like you to listen to again. So it is Tuesday, December 27th. And this is ESPN Daily. Also, just a heads up today's conversation does center around police brutality and violence.
1: Hyundai,
0: believe, On March 3rd, 1991, a white Hyundai Excel was driving over the speed limit down a Los Angeles freeway. When police asked 35-year-old Rodney King to pull over with his two friends in the car, he refused, leading to a high-speed chase as several police cars and helicopters joined the pursuit. About eight miles later, police were able to corner King, and they asked him to step out of his car. And what happened next is one of the most infamous incidents in American history.
1: The videotaped beating of Rodney King had left many Los Angeles residents outraged.
0: The officers uh, struck him with batons uh, between 53 and 56 times.
1: It was a traffic violation. How come they just couldn't arrest him and give him some kind of fine or something? Why they had to beat the mess out of him like that?
0: A local resident holding a home camcorder captured the beating on videotape, filming it from his living room window. Later, releasing that video to a Los Angeles TV station, the video changed everything.
2: We were not told about Rodney King being hit 56 times in 81 seconds with batons. We saw it with our own eyes. It was on video.
0: A year later, four Los Angeles police officers stood trial for assault and excessive use of force. And what many considered to be an open and shut case of police brutality, it turned out to be anything but. We the jury in the above entitled action find the defendant Lawrence M. Powell, not guilty. Find the defendant Timothy E. Wind. Not guilty. Find the defendant, Theodore J. Buccino. Not guilty. Find the defendant, Stacey C. Kuhn. Not guilty.
2: The defendant's being congratulated as the verdict. Not guilty. Rang through the packed courtroom over and over again.
0: That was April 29th, 1992. Today, on the 30th anniversary of the Rodney King verdict, We look back at the riots that engulfed the city of Los Angeles.
2: Angry demonstrators went on a rampage, taking control of the streets.
0: And it's been an ugly, terrible situation. And we get the perspective of an athlete who lived through it. Doc Rivers. A guard on the 92 Los Angeles Clippers, who shares how the NBA and the sports world reacted to the verdicts and the riots that followed and how the responsibility of an athlete has changed in the 30 years since.
1: Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: Doc. Hey, Pablo. How you doing, man? I'm good. Sorry I'm late, you know. You're a busy man. It's all good. We totally understand it. Doc Rivers is the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, and I spoke to him back in March. What was your first reaction to seeing the video originally back in 91? Angry, disgusted. You know,
2: when you look back on that, and you just look back on the invention of the camera phone, it may be the single most important instrument in Black history. And I say in Black history because... You can go back 30 years, and there was a joke on Sanford and Son where Lamont tells Fred, hey, Fred, stop eating meat. It's the number one killer of black men. And then Fred says, I didn't know
1: that. I thought it was the police.
2: (laughs) Well, that was 15 years before that. So black men and people have been saying that for years, that this was going on in America. But no one believed it because there was never any evidence.
0: So in 91, Doc, when the Rodney King incident happened and the video was first released, you were actually a guard for the Atlanta Hawks, right? I mean, in the offseason, you get traded to L.A. to play for the Clippers, and you're 30 years old. It was a rare year for the Clippers. (laughs) Yeah. You know, in 91, 92, let's be honest. I mean, look, because the Clippers, I mean, they were very obviously one of the worst franchises in sports. But that season... Was different in particular. How different was it?
2: Well, number one, we were better than the Lakers. That's how different it was. When you think about it, you know, back then that was unheard of. It was a crazy year, Pablo. If you remember the year we were good, but in typical Clipper fashion, even though we were good, we still fired our coach in the middle of the year and then brought in Larry Brown. If you remember that, and yes, you know, we we went on a roll and we made the playoffs. I think it was the first time
0: in franchise history you were a sub 500 team before larry brown gets brought in you become a playoff team and you end up in the first round of the nba postseason doc you and your clippers in a best of five series against carl malone and the utah jazz the first three games of that series how would you describe them do you remember how those went for you and the clippers
2: yeah very competitive Oh, Malone hits.
1: He's going to make that one. Uh, this
2: thing is over. They won the first two at home.
1: And here's the frosting advocate. One more steal, two more points, one more win. is up to nothing.
2: We had won game three at our place at home.
1: Three. Boy, bye. Those parts of arena.
0: Game three took place April 28th. Game four was supposed to take place April 30th, but the Rodney King trial, infamously, was happening at the very same time as this playoff series. Do you remember how much you were paying attention to the trial as it was unfolding?
2: Yeah, I do, and I think everyone was kind of paying attention, Pablo, but no one thought that the cops would be innocent. That really was not a thought. Remember the O.J. Simpson trial, we were all watching because we didn't know which way that would go. Well, in this case, we all assumed that the cops would be guilty. As a matter of fact, you know, we played that game that next day, we knew the verdict. There was no like conversation, hey, if this happens, Mm. because we assumed that they would be guilty. And then in between game three and four, literally all hell broke out in LA. The case that shocked the world and now it has exploded into a city out of control.
0: So this is April 29th, 1992. The jury, Doc, in the Rodney King trial has acquitted three of the officers, failed to reach a decision on the 4th. And the people of L.A., just furious with this outcome, they begin rioting in the streets. Where were you at the time?
2: Ryan Harper and I were at the L.A. Sports Arena, right in the middle of it. One of the Clipper employees run down from the offices and yell, get out, get out of here. We were still oblivious because we were in the locker room. We didn't have the TVs on. So we turned the TV on and you could see people were starting to get out in the street. Cool that camera. Hey, he closed
1: cool that camera. And that's f- camera. Back in, let him get that, that film.
2: and then the, the uh, I always forget the name, the truck driver drives in the middle of South Central. Reginald Denny was the truck driver. We watched him by the millions. Here is
1: the tape. Here's a situation from South Central. There's another driver badly beaten. Terrible, and there's no police presence down here. They will not enter the area.
2: This is attempted murder. And I remember driving home, running to my car, driving home, and it was lawlessness. You could smell it you could see it you can feel the fear in the air man that was a tough time I, I just remember how upset everybody were and you really feared because it was that was the first time that it was the cops versus the citizens and so I thought that was just a crazy crazy time.
0: As you're watching just the city react, what is going through your brain as just a guy who is living and working in L.A.?
2: Well, there, there's a couple things. The first thing was get home. Uh, the second thing that I thought was strange was my dad, who was a cop in Chicago, who never flew, never came out to L.A. or anywhere unless he was driving. We talked him into getting on a plane, and he was actually in L.A. Mm. And I remember him sitting on the steps of our house outside with his gun on his lap in Santa Monica, which there was no reason to worry in Santa Monica. And I pull up and I start laughing like, what are you doing out here? I just wanted everyone to know a black man lives here. Mm. I remember him saying that. And you know what the last thing on my mind at that moment was, we, we we're going to play tomorrow. You know, I didn't even think about that till later in that evening. Clearly there was going to be no game, especially where the Clippers arena was at. There was not gonna be a basketball game.
1: Hi again everybody, welcome back to the ESPN Sports Center with Bob Lee, I'm Charlie Steiner. And tonight, we are again reminded of the relative insignificance of the business of sport. The looting and violence in Los Angeles in the aftermath of the Rodney King verdict has caused the postponement of an NBA playoff
0: game. The Clippers early this afternoon postponed their playoff game with the Jazz schedule for this evening. So sports in Los Angeles, Doc, essentially shuts down because of the riots. This is the first time, actually, in NBA history that a playoff game gets postponed. And so, naturally, the media asks all of the players, basically, for their reaction to the verdict and also their reaction to the larger reaction to the verdict. Byron Scott, for instance, who's then a guard for the Lakers, your cross-town rival, he said that he did not condemn the rioting.
1: I don't condemn what they're doing. I understand exactly what they're doing. I understand why they're doing it.
0: Uh, and and I can't condemn that. But then you had athletes like Magic Johnson, Doc, who was at that point temporarily retired because of his HIV diagnosis, and he had a different take.
1: My message is to be angry and be upset. It's all right, you know. But um, you had to find a way to channel that frustration, that anger, and not go out and into the street and try to uh, do something about
0: it. And then you had figures like Jim Brown, right? The Hall of Fame running back who was very active in the civil rights movement in the late 60s. And he's arguing that athletes like Magic Johnson did not understand the struggles of black people in America. Does Magic's words hold any relevance for those people?
2: Absolutely not. Uh, in the arena that I deal in, his word mean nothing because he's not there. He doesn't know the people, he doesn't deal with the people, and he doesn't invest. To deal with the gang members and the disenfranchised, uh, that's not his thing. The modern-day black athlete is probably the most embarrassing human being from the standpoint of reinvestment in black people that we've ever had in the history of our uh, our development in this country.
0: What do you remember feeling as to the role of the athlete, especially the black athlete, at that specific time?
2: Yeah, I remember a couple things. I remember... um, Leaning more on the Jim Brown side than the other side, I will say that. I just thought it was a time to, to take a stand for what you felt was right. There needed to be protests. You know, I'm, I'm never in, in, uh, in favor of violent protests, Pablo, but people were hurt. People saw the images of Rodney King being beaten. And for the people who did that to walk free just didn't sit right with me. It didn't sit right with my dad, who was a cop. Mm. So, you know, I think I had it from a different vantage point talking to my dad. You know, he said two things, they're going to get off from the day one. He said that. And number two, he said, and they shouldn't get off. But, you know, I think that was a start for the athlete, even though I don't know if the athletes who had a voice said the right things. I thought from that day forward, they did. I thought Jim Brown played a a very important role in that, in calling all the athletes out. Speak the truth. Don't speak with your wallets. Speak the truth. From that day forward, if you watch comments of athletes, I thought it changed. And I thought it changed
0: for the better. But at the time, Doc, for days, for multiple days, the riots continue. And again, the playoffs are underway, but... You're still there waiting for this official date for game four. So what did you do next?
2: So I think for a couple of days, we didn't know what to do. We didn't even practice. I remember driving to Laguna, staying one night in the Ritz-Carlton. And I pull up, and the first two people I see at the hotel are John Stockton and Carl Malone. They decided to do the same thing, get out of L.A., and go, go relax. And then we got the call that we are going to play a game, but we we're going to play it in Anaheim. And, you know, I actually did think, like, only the Clippers. Like, we finally make the playoffs. We finally get to the playoffs. And then a riot breaks out. We can't even play our fourth game at home in our arena, which, you know, was going to be a big game.
0: Yeah, the city is placed under curfew. The smoke from the riots is visible from the parking lot of the L.A. sports arena where you guys played. And in the end, Doc, the game gets played finally on May 3rd. But it's moved 30 miles south down to Anaheim, as you said. And we actually found a quote from you leading into that game. And this is what you said. You're
2: still a human being. And uh, sometimes I think people think uh, you're an athlete and you're something else. But we're just like everyone else. And we have those same feelings. Some people can't work in, in this circumstance. We're probably going to have to. I just hope we can work to
0: the best of our ability. Did you want to play in that game four if you were given the choice, given everything that was happening?
2: By that time, yes. Um, I did. I definitely didn't want to the first three or four days. I didn't want to think about like basketball or, or whatever else. It was just so much bad going on. But I thought we did it the right way. We waited and that game, Pablo, was amazing.
1: And good afternoon or evening, wherever you're watching. And welcome to a very important playoff game here today that will be played in front of a crowd of about 7,400 people. When you compare the Anaheim Convention Center to the LA Sports Arena, well, it's about half as big.
2: The spirit of the fans was off the charts.
1: And Hustles, eaten to the ball, Norman to dunk. And the convention center here in Anaheim is Bedlam.
2: We won the game. I had a big play at the end of the game and did a terrible dance that no one should ever see ever again.
1: Rivers to the rack. Count the basket and a foul. A game five in Salt Lake appears to be imminent.
2: And we tied the series 2-2. And I thought that was the start of healing LA because that was the first thing kind of in the area. You remember the Lakers went to Vegas to play their playoff game. So we were the only one that played kind of in town. And I did think the way it was done in Anaheim was
0: actually beautiful. your Clippers, Doc, you win game four, you win this game in Anaheim, you force a series deciding game five, which is the very next day at this point in Utah. Yeah. What happened in game five?
2: I remember us getting up. I think we got up tech to end the third quarter. And another
1: illegal defense against the Clippers. It's a technical foul. Larry Brown is hoping his club can hang on.
2: And everything changed from that point on. have been so nice to win that game because of what we were going through. That would have been absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah, and so what did you feel? What do you remember feeling after that loss, given that context?
2: I remember coming home um, and back to L.A. where I was living, and at least for the first month of that summer, that was not a normal stretch of life because everyone was still on call. Everyone's nerves were very high, and everyone moved through the city extremely cautious. And it worked both ways. Black men scared of police, police scared of black men. That's basically how L.A. and the life in L.A. during that time period was living.
0: So that was 30 years ago, Doc. But I also know that you lived through a similar situation, this time as a coach a lot more recently. So after the break, I want to talk about how the entire idea of athlete activism has been evolving since.
1: Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely. Drake wisely
0: So doc the toll of the LA riots it was enormous more than 60 people died some 2300 people were injured there was between 800 million to 1 billion dollars worth of damage in the city and it led to Rodney King himself in a press conference pleading for the violence to stop can we can we
2: all get along can we can we get along You know, I mean, we're all stuck here for a while. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's try to work it out. Let's try to beat it, you know, let's try and work it out.
0: And that quote, the can we all get along part, Doc, that's the part that still feels pretty haunting, right? Because 30 years later, that same plea generally really does apply. And, and this felt especially obvious in 2020, when you were now the coach of the Clippers and George Floyd is murdered and we see riots break out in Minneapolis and all over the country as a result. So how do you connect those two moments, the riots in 92 and then the riots in 2020?
2: Yeah, it's, it's funny. I was there 30 years ago in L.A. witnessing it. Now uh, I was there again as the world was there in the George Floyd thing. We all lived that the first thought was things are gotten better, but they still have a long way to go. Uh, my second thought what I've been on for three years, at least a year to two before the George Floyd thing is training, training, training. You know, it takes longer for me to get my barber's license than it would for me to become a cop. That's not good. In Japan, I think it takes two years before you can be a police officer. And on your first day of work, You have to go to every house and every business and knock on the door and introduce yourself. You know, community policing. I live in a community right now in in Camden, where our practice facility is the poster child for the way things can change and how things can be done. So that video, again, showed that we need to do more work with each other, for sure.
0: George Floyd is killed in May 2020, Doc. And a bit later, because of the pandemic, the NBA bubble is underway in Orlando, and that August is when Jacob Blake, a 29-year-old black man, gets shot in Kenosha, Wisconsin, by police. Another shooting that is captured on video, and you wind up being front and center as a face of the NBA's response, because you give this quote to reporters that instantaneously goes viral.
2: It's amazing, me Why we keep loving this country, and this country Does not love his back.
0: And that quote, just to get sort of the oral history of that bit of rhetoric, had you said that before? No, I I swear, I'm
2: going to assume I heard it somewhere or or heard pieces of it. I don't know where any of that came from, Pablo, honestly. um, They asked me to say something about it, about the shooting before the game. And my first thought was, I have a game, I have to do my job still. And so I'm going to go ahead and do my job. And guys, if you want to ask me about it after the game, you can. We win the game. And I honestly wasn't thinking about it at that time. And, and the last question, like it was the very last question of that press conference. I, uh, we said one more question. Someone said, can you say something? And, and honestly, I just, uh, I don't know where it came from. Honestly, it just kind of came out. It's just, it's really so sad. Like I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color. You know, it's just really sad. We gotta do better. The training has to change in the police force. The unions have to be taken down in the police force. My dad was a cop. I believe in good cops. We're not trying to defund the police and take all their money away. We're trying to get them to protect us, just like they protect everybody else. It's how I felt in my heart and really how I felt for my players because I saw the effects. Being, Being in the bubble was horrific. Let me make that clear. But the one good thing about being in the bubble was in that time, for us to see the effects of that on all the players in the league, like I could see guys talking about it walking around, I could see our locker room they were down you can you can see that they felt like what can we do so that was the only positive thing for me in the bubble was not the speech because I didn't ever want to be I didn't want that like I didn't want to be uh, front and forward I wanted I don't know what I did. I just said it. Uh, and then that, that's what happened. But really, the cool thing was watching our players kind of get involved and, you know, Milwaukee deciding we're not playing.
0: The Milwaukee Bucks have decided to boycott game five in protest and in response to what's happened with Jacob Blake.
2: I thought all that was just brave and, and really good. And some good stuff happened because of that.
0: What does it say, Doc, that difference between NBA teams playing in 1992, as you did amid the L.A. riots, versus what happened in 2020 after the shooting of Jacob Blake, where teams decided, no, we're going to step away from the postseason. What does that suggest about how social issues and sports have changed in their interaction?
2: Well, it goes back to Jim Brown. That's the point. Like, no longer were people scared to talk. No longer were they worried about their advertisers or anything like that. It just showed a bunch of athletes courageous enough to lose their job, lose their money. And that's the one thing I think, Pablo, that a lot of the young people don't understand that if you're willing, it's so anybody can protest, right? But you also have to be willing that there could be consequences to your action. You can lose your job. You know, Colin Kaepernick is the poster child Of that, But he still did it. Muhammad Ali lost the middle part of the best part of his career because he took a stance. And now here our athletes are willing to stop playing. You look back on that. It definitely had an impact. You know, our players, my team voted not to play again. They didn't want to play anymore. You know, and obviously the vote went the other way, but it changed things. And I thought it changed it for
0: the better. Why do you think that is, Doc? Why are athletes now taking an active stance that's more in the vein of a Jim Brown as opposed to the generation that we heard from during the 92 riots?
2: Well, one reason is, you know, Jim Brown lived in a generation, when you think about it with Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali, Lou Alcindor, who became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Sidney Poitier. They were very active. Yes. And they had to be. And then it, like, skipped over. Mm. That stopped happening. You know, and I think that generation saw that and didn't like it. But the biggest thing, and we know why, is Twitter, Instagram. Players now have their own ability to get their voice out, and they're using it, and they're doing a great job of
0: it. has been 30 years now since the acquittal of those cops who beat Rodney King, and we're dealing today with the deaths of Philando Castile and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. What is the emotion, what is the feeling that you feel most right now as a member of the sports community, someone with this platform, someone who people listen to, when you think about how Black Americans are treated in America today?
2: I'm frustrated, Pablo, right now. I'm frustrated the fact that we're trying to whitewash our history. You know, it's all right to do history, but it's not all right, all right to teach it. You have to learn about history in America. Slavery, Jim Crow, lynching. And I'm sorry if that makes anyone feel bad. How do you think it makes Black people feel? But this happened in the country that we're living in, and we're telling teachers not to teach it? It's, it's absurd to me, because if you don't learn from history, you will repeat it. And so that frustrates me. What I am happy about is that athletes are all over, not just America, but all over, are talking. They're speaking up. And so they have to continue to do that.
0: Doc, where does this go from here, right? Because the pendulum tends to be the object that this whole discussion generationally most resembles, right? It swings back and forth. There's a backlash. There are concerns about this is jeopardizing our business. Viewers don't want to hear this. From athletes, the games must be held sacred. Where do you think we go from where we are now?
2: Well, the games are sacred. But after the game, you become back to normal. Normal Americans do their jobs, and then they go out and protest. So can athletes. You have to all be open to listen to every side. There's no doubt about that. But it would be nice to try to figure out a common ground. And so what we have to do and what I feel my duty, not as an athlete and not as a coach, my duty as an American is to speak up. Police are supposed to be peacemakers. I believe most of them want to be that. I believe most of them would love to be trained correctly. And so I think we should keep pushing to do that. That's not controversial. Doing something right shouldn't be controversial, you know? And so I'm just hoping all our voices can help us get there.
0: So, Doc, at the very end here, right, you're 60 years old. If you had the opportunity to tell 30-year-old Doc Rivers anything about the world that you inhabit now, what would you tell him?
2: If I could have talked to the 30-year-old back then, I would have told him two things. Get a better jump shot, because I sucked. I couldn't shoot the ball. (laughs) And then the second part would have been get more involved. I wish I had even back then. I kind of spoke out back then because, you know, I had a better vantage point with my dad. But I wish I could have used it more, and I wish I could have uh, encouraged more athletes in that time to speak out more. Get everybody involved, you know, we all need to do that.
0: Doc Rivers, thank you as always for telling us about the history of your sport and of our country. Thanks, Pablo. And one more quick thing for you guys before we go. We did want to reiterate, we have made this playlist of our very favorite episodes from 2022. There's a lot in there, a lot that I think you probably missed because we just make so many episodes and I'm so proud of the tonnage that we are responsible for. But in there, there are things that absolutely still hold up that I think you might enjoy as you uh, travel during the holidays or are just looking for something to send your friends who, you know, may be converted to this weird show that we do. So you can find that link to the playlist in our show notes. We appreciate you. And in the meantime, I am Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.